0: I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. We we're talking about a tourist was going through, traveling through uh, Moscow uh, before Glasnost you know, 1991. And it's obviously communist run. And the gentleman is observing some city workers. And he sees one going down the center, um, the, the center of the road where there is a grass median. And one guy, the first guy is digging a hole. And then he goes on to dig the next one while the guy behind him puts dirt back in the hole. And he looks at it and he says, I know Russia can be a little backwards, He's across the road. And he just starts conversing in the best Russian that he can. And I'm going to translate for you, okay? And so he asks him, I'm going to translate, yeah. And so he asks him, he says, so I don't understand here. I'm just a tourist from America. And I see you gentlemen, and you're digging the hole. And then you move on, and, and you, sir, you come and you put the, the soil back in the hole. I don't understand this. What's going on? And the guy says, oh, one of our guys is sick today. And the guy says, well, what I don't understand. What does he do? And the guy says, the guy who's sick today and he took off, he's the guy who plants the trees. There's got to be a cooperation, right? And if they're not going to cooperate, you ain't going to get the job done. I, I'm a business owner. I know what it's like when you're trying to get guys to work together. But you got to work together to get a job done. We're talking about revival. And I want to today talk to you about cooperation. There is an operation, a rescue mission that God has all of us a part of, and He came and you were the object of that rescue mission one day. Think about however many weeks, or months, or years, are was amazing in your life, and He rescued you. As we now are talking about revival, and, and we truly believe that there is going to be a global revival in which all nations stream, are streaming into the kingdom of God. And, and there's more than two dozen verses, and I've shared only a handful of them with you, that speak of this. In which the, the knowledge and the glory of the Lord are going to fill the earth even as the waters cover the seas. Even which the yeast, it leavens the world, are being leavened, but certainly not the entire world. The 1040 window, which is generally almost predominantly Muslim and Buddhist, uh, the gospel is, is being proclaimed there. And in places like India, truly, there's tremendous persecution, but the gospel is spreading rapidly. But in Iraq and Iran, not so. So there is a revival coming, but I want, us to, I, I want us to get a picture today of a cooperation. Alvinist, he comes from a certain particular perspective, much of which is an emphasis on the grace of God and the sovereignty of God that I thoroughly appreciate. And I want to just read a little bit to you. He has some observations about revival, and he has a few things to say about Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a revivalist back in the early 1800s. He went through what's commonly called the burned-out district, most of which was in New York and Pennsylvania, preaching the gospel, and truly their entire focus became that revival was a formula. If you do steps one, two, three, four, five, and six, you are guaranteed to have a revival. And since that day, we you look around the, the religious landscape of America and people are having revivals. Now, I'm not opposed to preaching the gospel. I'm not opposed to people laying hands on and seeing God heal them. I'm not opposed to God healing marriages. Of course not. I'm That's, that's what I seek to do. I seek to be a part of God's kingdom. And many of you, you're know, preaching the gospel, sharing Christ, your testimony, with those that you work with. You can have a revival wherever you like if you only do certain things and fulfill certain conditions. It's a complete denial of the sovereignty of God. Not only that, it's proved by history itself to be wrong. And he goes on and talks about that when when he when Finney wrote these books, that many people started even in in, in Martin Lloyd Jones' day, which would be the the mid 1900s. People took those um tactics if you will and they began to implement them and revival didn't come and they certainly preached the gospel some got saved but revival that didn't happen and he goes on and he he says and i'm just going to conclude he he says you will never be able to draw up rules with respect to revival you can't stop a revival any more than you can start it it is altogether in the hands of god now again i appreciate martin lloyd jones I I love him. I like reading his books. I I can't say I'm I'm completely on the same page with him theologically, but the truth is he has many good things to say. I am going to disagree with that. You remember when Jesus of Nazareth went to his hometown and he began to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when he did this, it says that he could not heal many people. He could not heal many people. Why is that? Is it just simply that the father said, I don't want people being healed in the city today? No. The gospel writers tell us because they're... And they would say, heal me, or or, here's my daughter, heal her. But this wasn't happening. Because they saw Jesus, they knew him when he was a little boy... Ah, you know, this guy can't be the Messiah, doing miracles, really? Yeah, I don't know about this. And consequently, there wasn't much faith. People weren't coming to him in desperate need of being healed. So not many people were healed. Now, do you see the sovereignty of God in this? Yes. But do you see man responding in faith? Absolutely. Turn it into some formula. We cannot set down rules. We cannot say just do steps one through six. And if you do those, all of them just right now, you're going to have an instantaneous revival. It's like putting together a recipe, putting it in the oven and outcomes. Well, you're hoping that it's a cake. It's not like that. All right. This is a cooperation with God. Now, for some, that concept of, oh, I love, and please don't hear what I'm not saying, I love and thoroughly believe in the sovereignty of God, but by grace, we are saved through faith, by grace, through faith. It actually says in 1 Thessalonians 3.2, it says, Timothy is considered God's co-worker, God's co-operator. Timothy worked with God. What a privilege. You are God's co-worker, co-operator. You step into scripture. it is a battlefield, but on that battlefield, we are cooperating with God as He seeks to bring revival. Now, trust me, as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, some will water, some will plant. Well, it's the other way, some will plant, some will water. But who is to who is going to be bringing the increase? Church, God is going to be bringing the increase. I can't convert someone's heart. There are certain things that I can do us, and as we do this, He is going to be rescuing lost souls. But we can never create a revival. But on the other hand, people, we are called to cooperate. We don't just sit back and watch God do everything. Now, I'm not suggesting that Martin Lloyd Jones believes that we do nothing. I don't believe he's, he 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 would believe that. But sometimes we operation. This is an operation. It's it's a uh, it's a rescue op that God has planned since the very beginning of the world. He knew that man was going to fall. He knew that sin was going to grip man's heart, and we've all been there in which sin was our master. Romans six says, "I was a slave to sin. I was and you, you, you've heard my term, a sin addict." I was addicted to it. There was nothing that I could do, What so, practically every single one of those resolu- resolutions were broken, right? Do you agree? Isn't that what you do? Oh, but this year's going to be different. Oh, man, 2020 is coming up. I've got some really good resolutions. My life is going to change now. All right. The truth, though, is that Jesus needed to come into my life and rescue me and break that sin addiction. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you, you're right there, you're in 2 Kings or whatever cool term you want to use, in this cooperation in which God's heart is to now rescue the lost, I want us to see this as a battlefield. I want us to see the world as a battlefield. And it is not just us struggling against God, but there is a spirit realm in which we play a part in Unfortunately, in the physical realm, we do not discuss the spiritual elements of our world around us. But I'm going to tell you this, it is absolutely real. And just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We live in a day of materialism and naturalism. And both of those philosophies say, number one, materialism, only what is material, only what is physical that I can see, touch, smell, that I can observe, that I can do scientific experiments on, that is the only thing that exists. That is apart from science and that can be tested does not exist. So therefore, God doesn't exist. I hope you disagree with that. So we live in this world in which there is a spiritual battleground going on all around us. You were a part of that. You are a part of it today, but you were a part of that rescue up when God sent his spirit, broke your heart, and you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You were saved. saved. In which, (laughs) excuse me, the king of Syria, he is struggling. He's frustrated. Because every time he goes to battle against the king of Israel, it's as if the king of Israel knows where he's going to be attacking. And when he goes to attack a town, the king of Israel's army is there. And he says, I don't understand it. I think I have a spy among us. Who is it among you that his maidservant says this? There is a prophet in Israel who knows what you speak about in your bedchamber i.e. the secrets you share with your wife? He knows them. The king of Aram is probably, Syria is probably freaking out. What? And he says, who is this? The prophet Elisha. And Elisha would hear from God, go to the king. So the king of Israel was always prepared. So the king of Syria has an amazing plan. Find out where this guy Elisha is, and we'll see who's the tough guy on the block. And so he sends an army to Dothan, where Elisha is. And it's his army surrounds this town of Dothan, and his servant Gehazi wakes up in the morning and looks around, and everywhere, they're goners. They're gonna, they they are gonna die. But then he says, "O oh Lord, what shall we do? And in verse 16, it says this. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I can only imagine Gehazi scratching his head and thinking, dude, what are you saying? The, 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 those who are with us seeing that I'm not. And it says here. He says, oh, he says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw all of the horses. And it says, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. I'm not gonna go into the story except to say that this blind army is now led by Elisha to the city of Samaria, where they, where the army of Israel is. And the king gives them back to the the king of Syria, in essence saying, hey, don't ever do this to us again. Mm -mm. Don't come into my country with your army like this. Now, I want you to see something here. Gehazi walks out of his house, wherever he's staying, and he sees a physical army. And he's filled with fear. What he doesn't see is the army of angels are called God's servants, flames of fire. Now, whatever that looks like, I know when they have visions of angels, sometimes the light is so bright, it seems like fire. When Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, he is caught up in a chariot of fire. The truth is that there are angels, and and church, there are demons as well, all around us. Now, I'm not saying that to kind of freak you out. We then are engaged in a spiritual battle. Scripture says, where our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm." Our battle is a spiritual battle. When you got saved, whether you realized it or not, you were in the crook not. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to help you see this because this has so much to do with our cooperation in this concept of revival, small or large globally, that God wants to bring us into and be head smart with. This is a spiritual battle. Number one, I want us to see that well, let me do, uh, turn with me to first, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter two. I want us to look at this passage here. "This speaks to us about this spiritual battle. And Tim, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor coming up as a, as, as a leader amongst the church. He is actually functioning apostolically. Paul in the, the maritime prison in uh, Rome, and consequently, he is going to soon be put to death. And so he's kind of giving last words, and he is, he is sharing with Timothy about this spiritual battle in verse 25, it says, those who oppose him, that is the servant of God who's sharing the gospel, those who oppose him, must, he must gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, latching on to this truth, he says that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. When I was 14 years of age, I had grown up in church all of my life. I had heard the gospel. I was a part of uh, two gospel, conservative, uh, evangelical churches. My dad was the choir director in, one of the, in both of them. <laughs> but I had never really responded to it. I had heard about Jesus. I had heard about him multiplying the loaves and the fishes, so that he fed five thousand on one occasion, four thousand on another. I had heard about you know Jesus healing the blind and the leper, and culmination of all miracles, himself being raised from the dead. I'd heard about these. I'd heard about the cross and the significance and purpose of the cross. I'd heard about the resurrection and saw those cool movies about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And I I knew about this, but been thoroughly impacted by the truth of this. And consequently, I was still dead in my transgressions and sins, Scripture says. I was still caught in the snare of the enemy to do his will. I was actually caught in Satan's snare of sin, and I was doing only his will. That's what what the the scripture teaches us. That was you and that was me. And at age 14, there was a spiritual battle. Do you want to turn to Colossians 1.13? And it says this, for he has rescued us. In this amazing co-op mission, he has rescued us from the dominion. And that Greek word translated dominion in your Bible is the Greek word authority. It's authority. Every dominion, every kingdom has an authority. That's why they translate it this way. This is the authority. This is the place of Satan's authority, his realm, hisness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus bought me. He redeemed me. He purchased me as his own. He reached into the kingdom of darkness and he pulled me up. This Greek word is transplanted. He pulled me out of the kingdom of darkness and transplanted me into the kingdom of light. I was rooted in the cave to sin. We were Satan's servants. I didn't feel like that. I went to church, people, all of my life. I was a good little boy. Caught in Satan's snare in sin to do his will i was rooted in the kingdom of darkness and god by his grace using my brother as a cooperative speaking the gospel 40 years ago the resistance in my spirit i did not want to hear what he had to say and the more he talked the more the spirit of god began to break down that resistance He was reaching into the kingdom of darkness as my brother was going behind enemy lines, follow me. And as he was sharing Christ with me, as he was showing me, Mike, you've been going to church all of your life and all of your knowledge is up here. And Jesus wants to rescue you from your sin. He wants to forgive today, right now in the kingdom of light in whom is redemption. The forgiveness of sins, Jesus rescuing, and that concept of redemption goes back to Exodus six, where we are talked about the the Israelites being slaves in Egypt and God redeeming them out of that slavery. That is a beautiful picture of what happened to me that day. God's cooperative, going behind enemy lines, sharing the gospel. There is resistance in my spirit; I can feel and over like waves coming against me. working to to bring me to my senses to realize, wow, I've gone to church all... What a realization. I I had been going to church all of my life, and yet there was still that resistance in my heart. Christianity was just a religion. It had nothing to do with a relationship. It was about what smiled down upon. And thereby accept me. But I realized that it wasn't about what I did; it was about what Jesus did, and my response of faith. And faith at that day on that day was me surrendering to Him. And He broke through that darkness in my life, and He uprooted me from the from the dominion of darkness, and He transplanted me. And the revival then takes place on a grand scale there are rescue missions going on individually there are angels and demons all around I am not concerned what they look like. I'm not concerned where they're positioned. I know that they are there. When we have ministered in neighborhoods like Hidden Lakes, when we had those, um, when we went into went, went into there, and for those two or three hours, whatever it was, and we ministered to Moni and then more prayer and ministering, there was a spiritual battle going on in every single one of their hearts. So. In view of this, then, in view of this spiritual battle, how do we cooperate with God? Not turn revival into a formula, steps one through six that are out there. They focus on six things that, that we do. I'm not opposed to those things. But just because we do them, is God obligated to bring about revival or a global revival? You see, he's not. He's not. But if we don't do these things, God does not save. If you don't go and preach the gospel, how will they hear? That's one thing that you can do. If you do not this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and I will uh, I, and I and I will forgive their sins and heal their land God responds prayer this is what he desires when israel was in slavery it says that the cry of the people reached him it's as if there was this sense of desperation this level of desperation church in this cooperation in this worldwide global revival there are things that we can do but how dare us if we ever turn them into a formula remember galatians 3 5 it's, it, Paul asks him a question, he says, does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you keep the rules, because you do steps one, two, three, four, five, and six? You see, the miracles that God does among us, it's not because of some formula. However, God does invite us to cooperate. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We are going through a number of scripture verses today, um, but I, I want us to struggle with this. I want us to wrestle with these concepts, because as we, as I speak of them over the next couple of weeks, I do not want us to think that, wow, if we just do all of these things, we're going to have to 12 Jesus has just healed a man who was mute. He, he was demonized, but he was mute and blind. And he healed him, scripture says, by casting the demon out. Now that's what Luke focuses on. The demon was cast out and he was healed. Matthew words it a little differently and he says Jesus healed him. Well, Jesus did both. The people could not deal with this. They saw Jesus do miracles. By the way, my apologetics class, there was a test on the exam. Do you remember what it was with regard to the Talmud? The Talmud was written around 200 AD. It was an oral tradition and finally written down in 200 AD. In 200 AD, when they wrote it down, the Jews talked about Jesus. And you can you can research this yourself. It's in there. They talked about Jesus. They had some bad things to say about him. But they, the one thing for his miracles was not that they were fake. It's not that they were false. But they said it was because Jesus was a sorcerer. You see, they couldn't deny what we, what we read about in, in Matthew 12. Jesus did these things. Jesus actually cast out demons. They were real. People witnessed it. They had no explanation except, you must be on Satan's side. You're doing all of this because you're on Satan. You're a sorcerer. And that's actually these miracles. He was a sorcerer. See, they couldn't deny his miracles. They couldn't deny this. It happened right in front of them. How else could Jesus do it? He couldn't be a servant of God. He couldn't be the Messiah. And then Jesus says, guys, guys, just, you, you don't get this. I mean, if I'm working on Satan's side to cast out demons, does that even make sense to you? And this is how he comes to them. And so this is what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, but if I drive out demons, the spirit of God in Jesus, he did not source his sonship. Jesus was the son of God. He was God come in the flesh, but that's not why he cast demons out. He cast demons out based on the spirit of God that he was anointed with without limit. And so Jesus, he says, I'm casting out this demon by the spirit of God. But if this is the case, then know this. The kingdom of God has come. It's here right now, carved out of the mountain, and it demolishes the statue and becomes a huge mountain that fills the earth. That is the kingdom of God. That is what Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom That kingdom is now here. And how do I know that it's here? Because by the spirit of God, this demon was cast out of the man that made him mute and made him blind And so now he's healed. And then he says this, or again, again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up or binds the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Now, I've touched on this before, maybe a year ago or so. I want to touch on it again because it has everything to do with what we're talking about today. So for many of you, this will be a review. I grew up in the Jesus People Movement as a teenager, sister, and you've met my sister. uh, Her husband, Chuck, passed away just this past January. They were very much in the late 60s, early 70s involved in the Jesus People Movement. I remember going to these meetings, but in this time frame, this scripture verse was interpreted a certain way and that was when you want to cast a demon out of somebody then the way to do it is you first say i bind the strong man in jesus name jesus is getting at here okay what jesus is getting at here is something very different when he said because he says here that if we are going to enter the strong man's house satan is the strong man let's understand that if we're going to enter his house and rob it, pillage it of all of his possessions, the first thing you've got to do whenever you enter into a strong man's house is you have to bind. You got to tie him up. Telling me that, uh, the she, her, her aunt, that many of you have met, Aunt Mimi, uh, she had a sister, an older sister, and two older brothers, and they would play cowboys and Indians, and she was always the Indian, and her brothers were the cowboys, and they would tie him up, tie her up. And then leave her and go eat lunch. Now, when that, when we would, when we would, I was a boy and we'd play cowboys and Indians and we never left them tied up to the tree. But this is what he is saying. You know, you want to, you want to go into the strong man's house. You got to tie him up. And so Jesus is saying, this is what you got to do. So here's my first question. What is the house? When you're going to enter the strong man's house to rob him, what is the house? Now, many go several verses later, verse 43 and verse 44, and it says, when a spirit comes out of a man, now follow me here, when a spirit comes out of a man, he wanders through arid places. I'm not going to get into that. Some interesting stuff, I'm not getting into it. He does not find any rest. He comes back to the house. And so the house is the man that he was cast out of. And if it is empty and cleaned, then he'll take seven other demons and inhabit him. And that basically is a picture of one whose the demons has been cast out, but it's not been filled with truth. It's not been filled with the spirit of God. Now, the Greek word we're looking at in verse 29 is the Greek word oikia. Now, oikia and oikos can both be translated house or household. They're very similar. They're synonyms. But the house in verse 44 is not the house in verse 29. The house in verse 44 is the man out of whom the demon was cast. That's not this house. Actually, Jesus already told us what house he's talking about. Go back. Just a few itself will be ruined and every city or oikia divided against itself will not stand. The house is Satan's house kingdom. If you're going to go into, if you're going to go in, be uh, okay, if you're going to cross enemy lines, go behind enemy lines into the dominion of Satan, and you are going to be a part of this rescue op mission to rescue lost souls, proclaim, transplanted into the kingdom of light, you've got to first go into that kingdom. But to do that, you have got to bind the strong man. That's what he is saying here. This, is, this verse is completely relevant to what we are talking about and what we will talk about over the next couple of weeks. We are on a mission. It is a co-op mission. We are going behind enemy lines, and this is a very spiritual battle that we go through. Be cast by their sin, and it is only the truth applied by the Spirit of God that will wake us up and realize, what am I doing so that we call on the name of the Lord? Those who call on the name of the Lord will what, church? They will be saved. That's what Scripture is clear about. My goal is I go behind enemy lines. As I enter into Satan's house or his kingdom, we can all choose the man. So then... Once he is bound and I go into his kingdom, I can rob him of his possessions. That doesn't mean take the world's money, take the world's businesses. That's not what he's talking about here. Those possessions, those things that he owns, that was me before I was 14. That was you before you came to Christ you had your name, and you had his. You were a part of his stronghold that Jesus needed to rescue you. How then do we bind the strong man? Jesus says that you know the kingdom is here because you the demons are being cast out. Jesus is walking in authority. We bind the us. If you were to go to Luke 10, and I preached on this several months ago, when you go to Luke 10, Jesus says to those when, after they went out two by two and proclaimed the gospel, they came back, whoa, man, even demons submit to your name. It was like so awesome, Jesus. We just said in Jesus' name, they were gone. People, We laid hands, they were healed. This was so awesome, Jesus. And Jesus says, I am just so glad that you're excited. But understand this, the reason why it happened, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and it happened because... Is over all the power of the devil but don't rejoice in that that's your privilege rejoice that your name is found in the book of life all right don't glory and wow this is so cool look what i did oh yeah in jesus name no but this is a truth that we need to latch at. god If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have received this authority. It is authority. We, by doing that, that authority binds Satan and his house is pillaged. The lost in his dominion are rescued and planted now in the kingdom of light. This is our privilege then as we cooperate with God. I'm going to end with this. We're going to look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It talks a couple of weeks. Those weapons must be wielded with authority. I hope that this does not come across as trite or hyper-spiritual or overly metaphorical. In our world of materialism, it would be easy to see this sermon from that perspective. And I get that. But we are not of that mind. We realize real as you touching yourself and feeling you are real. Where well, there are demons, there are angels, there is God himself, and they are. there's the devil, and they are very real. Very real. As you and me standing here today. These weapons that we're discussing here, and we're going to elaborate on in the next couple of weeks, they are very real. They have spiritual power that is very real and is going to be our... And if we fail to do this, if we operate in the flesh, and it happens all the time, we will fail to see any kind of revival, any kind of response from God. He desires that his people walk before him with these weapons. So that now he has the privilege, when he wants to, step in and rescue the lost. And not just one or two here and there. Well, my Bible tells me there's going to be people group movements. And we have seen this in history. And all right, so here's what it says. Verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We understand the physical concept of war. This is different. Because the physical concept of war is I physically kill the enemy. But you know what? I was God's enemy. And my be prayed for me. And I was taken captive from the dominion of darkness then transplanted in Jesus' kingdom. My brother did not come to physically kill me But there was a battle that took place. And with the sword of truth, the old Mike Curtis died. Do you see this? Against the strongholds that Satan had wielded in my life that needed to be broken by the authority of Jesus Christ. So we don't wield weapons like the world does. However, the weapons we fight with, verse 4, are not, excuse me, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. That means power of God. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. I was captive. I was in deception. I'd gone to church all of my life. I was deceived into thinking that by doing that, I was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Of course I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. I go I know about Jesus. I can quote the Apostles' Creed. You want me to do it for you right now? I I knew truth, but it had not transformed me in any way because I had not yet been rescued. So against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This warfare takes place all around us. And I'm just going to give you one example in in concluding. And you will find this example in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7. Paul says that though he he is is not left alone, and he says, we labor, we endure hardships for you. And he says, we are, in in essence, we're engaged in this battle with weapons of, listen to this, weapons of righteousness in the left-hand hand, and in the right hand. Weapons of righteousness. These spiritual weapons that we're just talking about, but these are weapons of righteousness in the left hand and in the right hand. In this spiritual battle, and many of the Corinthians have come to Christ as he and those who have been laboring with him have wielded these weapons of righteousness. What are these weapons of righteousness in the left hand and in the right hand? And I'm just going to give you one example. I remember that there was one gentleman at a car dealership, and my business caters to the paintwork and car dealerships. He worked in the service center. He was a good man at heart. He was going through some really hard times at home with his marriage. And he pulled me aside one day because he and I had talked, and I had shared my testimony, and I had just been trying to love on him seeking to implement those weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left hand. I knew that Hernan was caught in darkness, and my goal was to love Hernan and do that. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says that our light would so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So we are called not just to speak truth, but we are called to love people. When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, did he just preach the gospel and leave them? No, he healed the sick. He sought to love them with weapons of to minister to him. And he began to talk about, you know, his, his relationship with his wife. And, and so I just began to share truth with him and hope with him and show him that, you know what, in Christ, I'm not saying that that your marriage is just going to get all better. But that's where you've got to start. And Hernan said, you know what, something, as I was sharing with him, it was like culminating, and he knew he needed to make the decision, and it was just impacting him and just beating him down. And then the, the, the hurricanes came in 2004. He lost his roof, a good portion of it, much of his house got flooded, and he was needing to move some stuff out of his house. And so I said, Hernan, he was going to do that one side. I said, let me just meet you there. So I drove down to his house. He lived in Kissimmee. He drove down to his house, and you could just see the drywall just peeling off. We just, we just started piling that furniture in. And I, I just did, and, I, and I, I'm not the best at this. My wife is, is amazing at this, and, and I, just, I just wanted to love him. I wanted to share the truth of the gospel with him and I just wanted to love him. I wanted wanted Jesus through me to love him and point him more and more in the direction of Jesus that it is only in Jesus, Hernan, that you will ever find hope. It is love. You're doing the best you can, but you're losing in this war with your wife and she's going to leave you. Over some time, Visited the church, his wife came with him, and God began this healing process. He gave his heart to Christ. God began healing his men, his his marriage. I don't know where Hernan is today. I know he had started a business. My prayer, though, is that he God had truly pulled him out of darkness, planted him in his kingdom, and rescued his wife as well. You know what, church? It's so easy to just see things with our our physical eyes and assume that's all there is to life. But we are in a battle. And that neighbor of your kingdom of darkness, how are you going to be a cooperative with God to see that neighbor one to Jesus? Are you going to argue with him every weekend? Or are you going to love him? And as God opens the door, share the truth of the gospel with him. Can you stand with me? Jesus, I want to thank you that by your grace and your grace pulled me out. I had roots in that kingdom and I didn't even know it. But you did. You sent my brother Dan And he spoke the truth in love. And by your grace, you broke those chains of darkness in my life. Jesus, thank you that you broke through to me and you pulled me out. Father, we want to be a part. We want to be a part of that God. We want to wield weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. We want to wield these spiritual weapons, not as the world does, but as you do. And we want to see the enemy defeated God. I want to see Satan bound by the authority and spirit of God. I want to go into his house. And by your grace, that's what beats in my heart, God. God. And when you pull people into your kingdom, Lord, you change them. And you've changed me, Lord. I am such a different person today. Thank you, God, for your grace. You've changed every single one of us, God, by that same grace. So today, God, we are surrendering bring to how you see this world. We're surrendering to you and what your will is for our life and how you might use even me, even each of us in this co-op plan of yours to rescue this dying world, to see it changed by the power of God. Thank you that you started with me, Lord. Show us, God, how we can be a part of that plan would you do that in our generation, God? Thank you, Lord. And even today, Lord, would you rescue lost souls by your amazing grace and take them out of darkness into your light? In Jesus' name,